Hello, this is Timmy Black. Welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. Um, to be an artist's spouse. What a job. What a lousy job. What a, what a stinking lousy job. But you know, I get it. I, I get the attraction. When you come from the regular world, you know, the world of, of jobs, the world of, of, of sleep, the world of, of spinning classes and yoga mats, the world of audiobooks and dry cleaners, the world of small desks in small offices, the world of, well, the world of, the world of moderation and, and, and innocent pleasure. And, uh, to that world, an artist can seem, I don't know, so so exotic, so interesting, so cool, so sexy. An artist is everything you're not. They have all these weird, eccentric ideas. They, they make things. When they speak, they use adjectives, and they notice things. And at first, they might even notice you. But get into a relationship with an artist, or worse, marry one, and oi, you're in for a crash course on loneliness. Because while you think you're married to the artist, the artist knows that they're married to their work. For the artist, there's no compartmentalization. No, 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 no banker's hours. For the artist, the work always comes first. Well, let me take that back. It, it's not exactly like that. The, the work doesn't always come first. It only pretends to come first. It's the artist themselves that comes first. The, the actual artist, if you know what I mean. The person who inhabits the artist. That, that stinking heap of sweat, that, that warm mass of organs and blood and the giant ego that comes with it. That's what comes first. Second comes the work. Sometimes a close second, sometimes not such a close second, but the work is always subsidiary to that thick, beating carcass of appetite, jealousy, competitiveness, and above all else, insecurity. Then, and only then, and only if you're lucky, after all that, if there's anything left, then comes the spouse, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, whatever. They're always a very, very distant third, maybe, if they're lucky, or, or, or unlucky. I mean, it's, it's a lousy job. Who would want it? <laughs> Look, you don't have to take my word for it. Just take a look at Picasso, at Rodin, at Giacometti, at Jackson frickin' Pollock. Go ask those wives, those girlfriends. Ask them what it was like. But you know, everybody strikes their own bargain. Jackson Pollock might have taken a piss in Peggy Guggenheim's fireplace, but she also got him to sober up and paint that 20-foot-wide mural, which turned out pretty damn well. And, and yeah, take Dora Maar. Sure, sure, she did a lot of weeping, but look at all those photographs of Guernica that she took while Pablo was painting it for the 1937 World's Fair. But of course, we're talking about some important artwork here. 
Imagine, imagine suffering not for a genius, but for someone mediocre, someone deservedly obscure, someone entirely irrelevant. Imagine being with someone who is only capable of expressing anguish and profundity secondhand, someone who is certain never to leave their mark on history, someone who will only leave an outstanding debt to those who came before. Imagine living your life with someone whose prospects are non-existent, whose entire enterprise will turn out to be futile, and whose ideas, when you get right down to it, are just downright dumb. How would you like to be with someone who utterly lacks any semblance of a singular and important vision, but, but, but still has that huge, outsized, obnoxious, artistic ego? Like, like, um, what's his name? Like, like that New York painter, uh, Mitchell Inoya. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I didn't think so. And you probably never heard of his ex-wife either. Well, I know Mitch. I've known him for years. And when I told him I was going to feature him in an upcoming podcast, he actually told me to go to hell, which is pretty typical. You see, I was going originally to feature him in a piece I was thinking about doing about artists who make their own paint. You see, Mitch, Mitch is a master craftsman. Among other things, he grinds his own pigments. He's very, very good at it. Actually, there aren't too many contemporary artists who know how to do that sort of thing. And I thought it would be interesting to do a profile of someone so dedicated to such a traditional area of expertise. But Mitch didn't want anything to do with it. He actually told me that my podcast was stupid. He told me that nobody listens to it, that I'm a laughingstock. And he didn't want to waste his time. Hmm. So. So I called up his ex-wife, Doreen, instead. I've, I've always had this, this sort of crush on her. So I figured, well, here's an excuse to get in touch. And, well, what can I tell you? I uh, got an earful. So while my original idea was on focusing on the artisanal side of art making, I shifted to maybe a juicier topic. What is it like to be romantically involved with a bad artist? Because you know, Mitch might make his own paint. It doesn't necessarily make his work any more interesting. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch. You shouldn't have called my podcast stupid, but, but don't worry, no one is going to listen to this. Schmuck. Anyway, here's the thing about Mitch. He'll never be a decent artist because he's simply too impatient to think about anything deeply. He, he tends to pass off secondhand ideas as if they were his own. And his passions are experienced only vicariously. He's, he's terrified of holding an opinion, unless, of course, it was test-driven by someone else, someone who he thinks has some sort of, I don't know, authority. He, he repeats old, tired ideas and, and tries to pass them off as his own. And the sad part is, and he doesn't realize this, the sad part is, is that nobody takes him seriously. He, he, he even tried making a reputation for himself writing art criticism. 
a few years back, he was commissioned by Art Forum to do a 1,500-word essay on Currado Malaspina and the Plausible Deniability Project out of L.A. He, <laughs> he, he couldn't get the thing started. He just couldn't put two thoughts together without it sounding like a travel brochure. So he ended up asking his wife at the time, Doreen, to write the whole thing for him. <laughs> now, he was embarrassed, but he submitted it anyway. He had a deadline. And when it was published a few months later with his name, Mitchell Inouye, as the byline, with his short two-sentence bio under his headshot in the table of contents, a bio that described him as a well-known painter, a performance artist, and a writer, with a straight face, he turned to his wife, Doreen, and he thanked her. He thanked her. He, he looked her in the eye, and he told her, how much he appreciated her time and her input and her help in editing his piece. You see, you see how hard it is? It's hard. It's really hard to be the wife of an artist. It's, it's, it's tough enough when the artist is a gifted jackass, but when the artist is a talentless fraud, a plagiarizing swindler, a, a scoundrel, a, a, a thief, and an intellectual hooligan, well, that's a particular layer of hell no decent person should be made to endure. So, what's the moral of the story? Here's the moral. The moral is, don't ever tell Timmy Black that his podcasts are stupid. So, thanks for listening, all three of you. And please, join me again next time as I air more grievances and settle more scores against more idiots on the lives of contemporary artists.